section sixteen of english literature by william j long this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six continued shakespeare's first work may well have been that of a general helper an odd job man about the theatre but he soon became an actor and the records of the old london theatres show that in the next ten years he gained a prominent place though there is little reason to believe that he was counted among the stars within two years he was at work on plays and his course here was exactly like that of other playwrights of his time he worked with other men and he revised old plays before writing his own and so gained a practical knowledge of his art henry the sixth circa fifteen ninety fifteen ninety one is an example of this tinkering work in which however his native power is unmistakably manifest the three parts of henry the sixth and richard the third which belongs with them are a succession of scenes from english chronicle history strung together very loosely and only in the last is there any definite attempt at unity that he soon fell under marlowe's influence is evident from the atrocities and bombast of titus andronicus and richard the third the former may have been written by both playwrights in collaboration or may be one of marlowe's horrors left unfinished by his early death and brought to an end by shakespeare he soon broke away from this apprentice work and then appeared in rapid succession love's labors lost comedy of errors two gentlemen of verona the first english chronicle plays a midsummer night's dream and romeo and juliet this order is more or less conjectural but the wide variety of these plays as well as their unevenness and frequent crudities marks the first or experimental stage of shakespeare's work it is as if the author were trying his power or more likely trying the temper of his audience for it must be remembered that to please his audience was probably the ruling motive of shakespeare as of the other early dramatists during the most vigorous and prolific period of his career shakespeare's poems rather than his dramatic work mark the beginning of his success venus and adonis became immensely popular in london and its dedication to the earl of southampton brought according to tradition a substantial money gift which may have laid the foundation for shakespeare's business success he appears to have shrewdly invested his money and soon became part owner of the globe and blackfriars theatres in which his plays were presented by his own companies his success and popularity grew amazingly within a decade of his unnoticed arrival in london he was one of the most famous actors and literary men in england following his experimental work there came a succession of wonderful plays merchant of venice as you like it twelfth night julius caesar hamlet macbeth othello king lear antony and cleopatra the great tragedies of this period are associated with a period of gloom and sorrow in the poet's life but of its cause we have no knowledge it may have been this unknown sorrow which turned his thoughts back to stratford and caused apparently a dissatisfaction with his work and profession but the latter is generally attributed to other causes 
actors and playwrights were in his day generally looked upon with suspicion or contempt and shakespeare even in the midst of success seems to have looked forward to the time when he could retire to stratford to live the life of a farmer and country gentleman his own and his father's families were first released from debt then in fifteen ninety seven he bought new place the finest house in stratford and soon added a tract of farming land to complete his estate his profession may have prevented his acquiring the title of gentleman or he may have only followed a custom of the time note see lee's life of william shakespeare end of note when he applied for and obtained a coat of arms for his father and so indirectly secured the title by inheritance his home visits grew more and more frequent till about the year sixteen eleven he left london and retired permanently to stratford though still in the prime of life shakespeare soon abandoned his dramatic work for the comfortable life of a country gentleman of his later plays coriolanus cymbeline winter's tale and pericles show a decided falling off from his previous work and indicate another period of experimentation this time not to test his own powers but to catch the fickle humor of the public as is usually the case with the theatre-going people they soon turned from serious drama to sentimental or more questionable spectacles and with fletcher who worked with shakespeare and succeeded him as the first playwright of london the decline of the drama had already begun in sixteen o nine however occurred an event which gave shakespeare his chance for a farewell to the public an english ship disappeared and all on board were given up for lost a year later the sailors returned home and their arrival created intense excitement they had been wrecked on the unknown bermudas and had lived there for ten months terrified by mysterious noises which they thought came from spirits and devils five different accounts of this fascinating shipwreck were published and the bermudas became known as the isle of devils shakespeare took this story which caused as much popular interest as that later shipwreck which gave us robinson crusoe and wove it into the tempest in the same year sixteen eleven he probably sold his interest in the globe and blackfriars theatres and his dramatic work was ended a few plays were probably left unfinished note like henry the eighth and possibly the lost cardenio end of note and were turned over to fletcher and other dramatists that shakespeare thought little of his success and had no idea that his dramas were the greatest that the world had ever produced seems evident from the fact that he made no attempt to collect or publish his works or even to save his manuscripts which were carelessly left to stage managers of the theatres and so found their way ultimately to the ragman after a few years of quiet life of which we have less record than of hundreds of simple country gentlemen of the time shakespeare died on the probable anniversary of his birth april twenty third sixteen sixteen 
he was given a tomb in the chancel of the parish church not because of his preeminence in literature but because of his interest in the affairs of a country village and in the sad irony of fate the broad stone that covered his tomb now an object of veneration to the thousands that yearly visit the little church was inscribed as follows good friend for jesus sake forbear to dig the dust enclosed hair blessed be the man that spares these stones and cursed be he that moves my bones this wretched doggerel over the world's greatest poet was intended no doubt as a warning to some stupid sexton lest he should empty the grave and give the honored place to some amiable gentleman who had given more tithes to the parish works of shakespeare at the time of shakespeare's death twenty-one plays existed in manuscripts in the various theatres a few others had already been printed in quarto form and the latter are the only publications that could possibly have met with the poet's own approval more probably they were taken down in shorthand by some listener at the play and then pirated by some publisher for his own profit the first printed collection of his plays now called the first folio sixteen twenty three was made by two actors hemming and condell who asserted that they had access to the papers of the poet and had made a perfect edition in order to keep the memory of so worthy a friend and fellow alive this contains thirty-six of the thirty-seven plays generally attributed to shakespeare pericles being omitted this celebrated first folio was printed from playhouse manuscripts and from printed quartos containing many notes and changes by individual actors and stage managers moreover it was full of typographical errors though the editors alleged great care and accuracy and so though it is the only authoritative edition we have it is of little value in determining the dates or the classification of the plays as they existed in shakespeare's mind four periods notwithstanding this uncertainty a careful reading of the plays and poems leaves us with an impression of four different periods of work probably corresponding with the growth and experience of the poet's life these are one a period of early experimentation it is marked by youthfulness and exuberance of imagination by extravagance of language and by the frequent use of rhymed couplets with his blank verse the period dates from his arrival in london to fifteen ninety five typical works of this first period are his early poems love's labors lost to gentlemen of verona and richard the third two a period of rapid growth and development from fifteen ninety five to sixteen hundred such plays as the merchant of venice midsummer night's dream as you like it and henry the fourth all written in this period show more careful and artistic work better plots and a marked increase in knowledge of human nature three a period of gloom and depression from sixteen hundred to sixteen o seven which marks the full maturity of his powers what caused this evident sadness is unknown but it is generally attributed to some personal experience coupled with the political misfortunes of his friends essex and southampton 
the sonnets with their note of personal disappointment twelfth night which is shakespeare's farewell to mirth and his great tragedies hamlet lear macbeth othello and julius caesar belong to this period four a period of restored serenity of calm after storm which marked the last years of the poet's literary work the winter's tale and the tempest are the best of his later plays but they all show a falling off from his previous work and indicate a second period of experimentation with the taste of a fickle public to read in succession four plays taking a typical work from each of the above periods is one of the very best ways of getting quickly at the real life and mind of shakespeare following is a complete list with the approximate dates of his works classified according to the above four periods first period early experiment venus and adonis rape of lucrece fifteen ninety four titus andronicus henry the sixth three parts fifteen ninety fifteen ninety one love's labors lost fifteen ninety comedy of errors two gentlemen of verona fifteen ninety one fifteen ninety two richard the third fifteen ninety three richard the second king john fifteen ninety four fifteen ninety five second period development romeo and juliet midsummer night's dream fifteen ninety five merchant of venice henry the fourth first part fifteen ninety six henry the fourth second part merry wives of windsor fifteen ninety seven much ado about nothing fifteen ninety eight as you like it henry the fifth fifteen ninety nine third period maturity and gloom sonnets sixteen hundred to question mark twelfth night sixteen hundred taming of the shrew julius caesar hamlet troilus and cressida sixteen o one sixteen o two all's well that ends well measure for measure sixteen o three othello sixteen o four king lear sixteen o five macbeth sixteen o six antony and cleopatra timon of athens sixteen o seven fourth period late experiment coriolanus pericles sixteen o eight cymbeline sixteen o nine winter's tale sixteen ten sixteen eleven the tempest sixteen eleven henry the eighth unfinished classification according to source in history legend and story shakespeare found the material for nearly all his dramas and so they are often divided into three classes called historical plays like richard the third and henry the fifth legendary or partly historical plays like macbeth king lear and julius caesar and fictional plays like romeo and juliet and the merchant of venice shakespeare invented few if any of the plots or stories upon which his dramas are founded but borrowed them freely after the custom of his age wherever he found them for his legendary and historical material he depended largely on holinshed's chronicles of england scotland and ireland and on north's translation of plutarch's famous lives 
a full half of his plays are fictional and in these he used the most popular romances of the day seeming to depend most on the italian storytellers only two or three of his plots as in love's labors lost and merry wives of windsor are said to be original and even these are doubtful occasionally shakespeare made over an older play as in henry the sixth comedy of errors and hamlet and in one instance at least he seized upon an incident of shipwreck in which london was greatly interested and made out of it the original and fascinating play of the tempest in much the same spirit which leads our modern playwrights when they dramatize a popular novel or a war story to catch the public fancy classification according to dramatic type shakespeare's dramas are usually divided into three classes called tragedies comedies and historical plays strictly speaking the drama has but two divisions tragedy and comedy in which are included the many subordinate forms of tragicomedy melodrama lyric drama opera farce etc a tragedy is a drama in which the principal characters are involved in desperate circumstances or led by overwhelming passions it is invariably serious and dignified the movement is always stately but grows more and more rapid as it approaches the climax and the end is always calamitous resulting in death or dire misfortune to the principals as chaucer's monk says before he begins to bewail in manner of tragedie tragedie is to sayne a certain story of him that stood in great prosperite and is he fallen out of high degree into misery and endeth wretchedly a comedy on the other hand is a drama in which the characters are placed in more or less humorous situations the movement is light and often mirthful and the play ends in general good will and happiness the historical drama aims to present some historical age or character and may be either a comedy or a tragedy the following list includes the best of shakespeare's plays in each of the three classes but the order indicates merely the author's personal opinion of the relative merits of the plays in each class thus merchant of venice would be the first of the comedies for the beginner to read and julius caesar is an excellent introduction to the historical plays and the tragedies comedies merchant of venice midsummer night's dream as you like it winter's tale the tempest twelfth night tragedies romeo and juliet macbeth hamlet king lear othello historical plays julius caesar richard the third henry the fourth henry the fifth coriolanus antony and cleopatra doubtful plays it is reasonably certain that some of the plays generally attributed to shakespeare are partly the work of other dramatists the first of these doubtful plays often called the pre-shakespearean group are titus andronicus and the first part of henry the sixth shakespeare probably worked with marlowe in the two last parts of henry the sixth and in richard the third the three plays taming of the shrew timon and pericles are only partly shakespeare's work but the other authors are unknown 
henry the eighth is the work of fletcher and shakespeare opinion being divided as to whether shakespeare helped fletcher or whether it was an unfinished work of shakespeare which was put into fletcher's hands for completion two noble kinsmen is a play not ordinarily found in editions of shakespeare but it is often placed among his doubtful works the greater part of the play is undoubtedly by fletcher edward the third is one of several crude plays published at first anonymously and later attributed to shakespeare by publishers who desired to sell their wares it contains a few passages that strongly suggest shakespeare but the external evidence is all against his authorship shakespeare's poems it is generally asserted that if shakespeare had written no plays his poems alone would have given him a commanding place in the elizabethan age nevertheless in the various histories of our literature there is apparent a desire to praise and pass over all but the sonnets as rapidly as possible and the reason may be stated frankly his two long poems venus and adonis and the rape of lucrece contain much poetic fancy but it must be said of both that the subjects are unpleasant and that they are dragged out to unnecessary length in order to show the play of youthful imagination they were extremely popular in shakespeare's day but in comparison with his great dramatic works these poems are now of minor importance shakespeare's sonnets one hundred and fifty-four in number are the only direct expression of the poet's own feelings that we possess for his plays are the most impersonal of all literature they were published together in sixteen o nine but if they had any unity in shakespeare's mind their plan and purpose are hard to discover by some critics they are regarded as mere literary exercises by others as the expression of some personal grief during the third period of the poet's literary career still others taking a hint from the sonnet beginning two loves i have of comfort and despair divide them all into two classes addressed to a man who was shakespeare's friend and to a woman who disdained his love the reader may well avoid such classifications and read a few sonnets like the twenty-ninth for instance and let them speak their own message a few are trivial and artificial enough suggesting the elaborate exercises of a piano player but the majority are remarkable for their subtle thought and exquisite expression here and there is one like that beginning when to the sessions of sweet silent thought i summon up remembrance of things past which will haunt the reader long afterwards like the remembrance of an old german melody shakespeare's place and influence shakespeare holds by general acclamation the foremost place in the world's literature and his overwhelming greatness renders it difficult to criticize or even to praise him two poets only homer and dante have been named with him but each of these wrote within narrow limits while shakespeare's genius included all the world of nature and of men in a word he is the universal poet 
to study nature in his works is like exploring a new and beautiful country to study man in his works is like going into a great city viewing the motley crowd as one views a great masquerade in which past and present mingle freely and familiarly as if the dead were all living again and the marvelous thing in this masquerade of all sorts and conditions of men is that shakespeare lifts the mask from every face lets us see the man as he is in his own soul and shows us in each one some germ of good some soul of goodness even in things evil for shakespeare strikes no uncertain note and raises no doubts to add to the burden of your own good always overcomes evil in the long run and love faith work and duty are the four elements that in all ages make the world right to criticize or praise the genius that creates these men and women is to criticize or praise humanity itself of his influence in literature it is equally difficult to speak goethe expresses the common literary judgment when he says i do not remember that any book or person or event in my life has ever made so great an impression upon me as the plays of shakespeare his influence upon our own language and thought is beyond calculation shakespeare and the king james bible are the two great conservators of the english speech and one who habitually reads them finds himself possessed of a style and vocabulary that are beyond criticism even those who read no shakespeare are still unconsciously guided by him for his thought and expression have so pervaded our life and literature that it is impossible so long as one speaks the english language to escape his influence his life was gentle and the elements so mixed in him that nature might stand up and say to all the world this was a man End of section sixteen